Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Health Mystery Solved. Today, we're talking about fertility. This is an area I was passionate about ever since going through school. But like many other topics I talk about, it's an area that brings with it a lot of frustration and a lot of confusion. But it doesn't have to, which is why I wanted to do this episode to help break it down for you. I was originally going to call this episode Fertility Over 35, since that seems to be the age that is most talked about at doctor's offices and just in general as being an age of when things can be more difficult. However, I found that in my practice, I see women for fertility at much younger ages, especially in the last 10 years. Women as young as 27 are coming in with issues, so there's so much more at play here than just age. For me, for example, I had my son at 37, and as some of you may know, I am now 28 weeks pregnant with a girl this time, and I'm 40. I'll be turning 41 in just a few weeks at the end of June. Now, I have to admit, seeing the letters AMA next to my name on my OB file was interesting. I remember when I was pregnant with Jake, I didn't know what it meant. American Medical Association, maybe, I thought? No, it meant Advanced Maternal Age. Yikes, I did not like the sound of that at all. And there's certainly a stigma about age and pregnancy. But I know that I've done so much for my health over the last 20 years that I personally feel like I'm healthier now at 40 than I was at 27. Back then, I had so many different health issues, my body was not happy with me at all. This is the case with many of us. So it's not just age. Yes, it's true that we are born with all the eggs that we're going to have and the amount of eggs go down with age. And yes, it's true that egg quality will naturally decline with age. So don't get me wrong. I'm not ignoring age by any means. And of course, understand that it may be harder to get pregnant and there may be higher risks. However, there's so much you can do to help increase your chances. And just as I mentioned, we're seeing fertility problems in younger and younger women these days. So we can't just blame age and need to look at the whole body to figure this out and help bring it into balance. It is important to first understand that you are born with all the eggs that you will have. And naturally, not all of them are going to be perfect. This is completely normal. In fact, by the age of 25, which is super young, especially in our culture these days, it is estimated that over 25% of our eggs may not be genetically sound. Here's the important thing though. Even though the eggs are there and some are good and some may not be, your body actually picks which eggs it's going to recruit for each cycle. And there's a process of maturing those eggs that takes about three months. Therefore, the things that you do for three to six months before trying to get pregnant or what we call preconception care are going to be crucial and a lot can change in that time. So just because some of those eggs may naturally not be good does not mean those eggs will come up. And the more we support the body and create balance, the better the chances of the good eggs coming up. 
The reason is that our bodies are super smart. And if the body is burdened, toxic, deficient, or out of balance, it's not going to be the best vehicle for a healthy baby. And therefore, it will not preference the good eggs. Does that make sense? While there's a lot of different reasons for the inability to conceive and for miscarriages, the most common are because the egg, or perhaps the sperm, just wasn't genetically sound. This is especially true for the miscarriages that happen early, between four and nine weeks. Typically, the body is supposed to know that something is off once the egg is fertilized, and it would not even implant it which is one of the reasons people who try don't get pregnant. Sometimes it may be that something is fertilizing, but the body's seeing that there are genetic errors and they're not implanting it. Other times, it may take the body a little bit to realize that there are genetic errors. So the embryo implants, but then the body does its natural process of eliminating what doesn't belong if it sees that there's a genetic error. Egg quality issues are super common, But we also have to be mindful of inflammation and hormone balance, which all play a role. So let's go through the top five things to look into for egg quality and fertility. Number one is diet. When we eat foods high in sugar and processed carbs, as well as foods our body may have sensitivities to, we increase inflammation. The inflammation combined with increased stress, which often goes along with fertility, is a double whammy on your body. You want to make sure that you're eating a balanced diet where you're getting a lot of veggies, clean proteins, good fats, and unprocessed carbs, which is going to be your base. However, additionally, it is very helpful to address your food sensitivities. I actually just did an episode on this two weeks ago. That was episode 60. So if you missed that one, please have a listen. Doing the right food sensitivity test to see which foods your body doesn't like is very helpful because those foods will create inflammation, which in turn can greatly affect your fertility. Some of the biggies I often see are gluten and dairy. Gluten can really play a huge role in some people and can actually affect your progesterone levels, which is so important for maintaining the pregnancy. One of my favorite tests is by Vibrant America because they do a really comprehensive gluten panel that tests for not just the gluten itself, but for all of the other proteins and lectins that wheat breaks down into, so it's a lot more accurate than most tests on the market. If you're not able to do a food sensitivity test and have never tried to go gluten-free, doing a trial of going gluten-free can be very helpful to see how you feel and what happens. In the case of fertility, you would want to do that trial for about three months. Number two is properly evaluating and addressing your hormones. When seeing a conventional OB or even a fertility doctor, they typically test your FSH and LH, which is follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. And sometimes they'll also test estrogen, and this is done on day two or three of your cycle. It is important to make sure that FSH is within range, ideally below 10. However, even if that is the case, there are so many people that continue to have fertility issues. This is because these hormones are just the tip of the iceberg, and there's so many more things to look at when it comes to hormones. While it is important to have an FSH that's in range, you also want to make sure you have adequate levels of estrogen and progesterone, but those can't be seen on day three. Let me explain. When you look at your cycle, and let's take someone with a 28-day cycle, estrogen and progesterone are typically both low during your period. 
So day three, when you take your FSH test, really doesn't tell you much about estrogen or progesterone because we expect them to be low. Then estrogen is going to spike right around ovulation. It will go down a bit and spike again about seven days after ovulation, and then will slowly go down for your next period. Progesterone is going to remain low from your period till when you ovulate, and then it will slowly go up around day 14 or whenever you personally ovulate. And that can vary from person to person. Even in someone with a 28-day cycle, it can be as early as day 10 or as late as day 18 and still be considered more or less normal. And so then progesterone will go up at ovulation. It will spike seven days after ovulation. And then if you're not pregnant, it will go down and become low again for day one of your next period. The decline in progesterone is what actually tells the body that you're not pregnant and brings on a period. So when looking at these hormones through blood, the best time to do the test is actually on day 21 or seven days after you ovulate, because then you're catching those hormones at their highest level. So you can see if they're truly sufficient. I like seeing a progesterone level of 12 or above on day 21. This shows the person is ovulating and has enough progesterone to maintain the pregnancy should that happen. I'm also a big fan of cycle charting. That is when you take your temperature every morning and track that throughout the month. After ovulation, temperature will typically go up by about a half a degree. So it's another way of knowing if you're ovulating. It is also important that the luteal phase, which is the second part of your cycle after ovulation, is long enough. I like to see this be 12 days or more. Charting the cycle is a great way to see this because you can count the number of days your temperature stays up before it drops and you get your period. If it is less than 12 days, that is a sign your progesterone may not be optimal. And if that is the case, herbs like chase tree and omega-3s can be very helpful. Low progesterone can also be due simply to having too much estrogen. Some symptoms of estrogen dominance are weight gain, especially around your period, having swollen or tender breasts around your cycle, having longer, heavier cycles with more cramping, and potentially more headaches before your cycle. In those cases, avoiding estrogenic foods like soy and paying attention to xenoestrogens like chemicals and plastics and certain skincare products is important while also working on the liver and detox pathways. Calcium deglucrate is one of my favorite supplements for estrogen dominance. I actually did a podcast all about this. So if you suspect you may have estrogen dominance, that's a really great one to listen to. That was episode 30. And then therapies like acupuncture are also wonderful for hormone balancing. Gluten and inflammation from other foods can also contribute. So this is another important area to look at to see if improvement is needed so you can work on that. Another hormone that is super helpful to check in a blood test is DHEA. And when requesting this blood test, you want to ask for DHEA sulfate. It's written as the letters DHEA and then hyphen the letter S. This helps to see adrenal function and acts as a precursor to estrogen and testosterone. There's a good amount of research on the benefits of taking DHEA for egg quality, and many fertility doctors recommend this. However, and this is a big however, I find that it is recommended fairly blindly to most people going through fertility issues. But like with anything else, if you don't need it, 
it will not work for you. And since this is a hormone precursor, I find that many people have side effects and it could sometimes do more harm than good. Since DHEA is a precursor to testosterone, some women say they start to break out from it or they feel short-tempered and angry. In those cases, they have too much and it's converting to testosterone, therefore making them have too much testosterone. Never a fun thing. Plus, the dose is very important. I've heard recommendations anywhere from 25 milligrams to 75 milligrams, but that is a huge variation. If you are considering the supplement, please first test your DHEA, and if it's in the middle or the higher end of the normal range, you don't need it. You would ideally only want to consider this if you're on the low end of the range, or of course, if you're below the range. And then I recommend starting slow with five milligrams and then working your way up. While this is over the counter and it's not an actual hormone, it will affect your hormones directly and it's quite powerful. So you want to make sure you use it correctly and ideally you want to be monitored by someone who really understands it. Along with DHEA, I often hear CoQ10 as a recommendation and CoQ10 is coenzyme Q10 because there is a study that looked at the effects of DHEA and CoQ10 on eggs. And since then, many fertility clinics recommend it. Coenzyme Q10 is safe, and I don't have any issues with people trying it. However, again, if you're not deficient in it, and you can see this in a blood test or an organic acid test, by the way, it will likely not help. The study was done with 600 milligrams, which gets quite pricey. So it should typically not hurt, but you could be spending a lot of unnecessary dollars if your levels are sufficient. Number three is evaluating your stress. We've all heard that stressing about getting pregnant is not helpful in getting pregnant, but of course, I totally understand it's easier said than done. But we must find ways to manage stress, and that's going to be different for all of us. I personally like meditation and listening to relaxing music. However, those are just a few tools. You may like journaling, breathing techniques, taking a walk, getting a massage, talking to a friend, or anything else that you enjoy. The important thing is that you put something into practice and do something every day. It doesn't have to be the same thing each day either. I recommend setting aside 15 to 20 minutes a day to do something that is just for you. And when I say setting aside, I don't mean saying, yes, I'm going to do it at some point, but actually scheduling it into your day. If it doesn't get scheduled, it typically doesn't get done. That is just the reality. So whether you need to block this off on your work calendar or if you work from home like many of us are right now, it may be speaking to your partner or perhaps your other children and letting them know that you need to take some time and that it's very important for your health and that you will be unavailable for 20 minutes at that time of day. This not only helps to block off the time, but it also allows your family to help you because you communicate the time that is important and that you need their help in saying watching the other children or doing something else so that you can take that time. It makes them feel needed and helpful. Number four is evaluating and addressing your thyroid. I talk a lot about thyroid on the show because optimal thyroid function is crucial for so many things. And in this case, it certainly is for fertility as well. One of the reasons why the body may not pick the best eggs is because thyroid function is off. 
while most doctors will check TSH, which is thyroid-stimulating hormone, it's just one of the markers. TSH alone is not nearly enough to truly determine thyroid function, and over 50% of people can be completely missed for hypothyroidism, especially the subclinical kind. If your doctor told you your thyroid is normal, please ask for your actual result and make sure that they ran not just TSH, but all of the hormones. So those are going to be TSH, total T4, total T3, free T4, free T3, reverse T3, and thyroid antibodies. I have a whole episode on how to evaluate thyroid function, which was episode 27. So check that one out. And I'm also working on a detailed online thyroid course that will go into this in even more detail to help people truly evaluate and understand their thyroid and then properly optimize it. There's going to be a lot of customization because we're all unique. So you would know exactly what you should do based on your own lab work, but much more to come on that in the coming weeks. And lastly, number five is making room for the baby in your life and proper timing even before the baby's here. This is not specifically biochemical like the other four things I just talked about, but I think it's very, very important. What I mean about making room for the baby before the baby's here is just that. So many of my fertility clients tell me that they are so busy with work or so busy with their extracurriculum activities that they may not have time to say, eat the way I recommend or go to acupuncture or do some of the other therapies. I totally get it. You are busy. So am I. But you know what? When the baby's here, you're going to have to make the changes because it's going to require a lot of your time and a lot of your attention. So from an energetic standpoint, it is helpful to start thinking about how you would adjust your schedule for when the baby is here and actually start doing some of those things right now. I'll give you an example from my life. When we started thinking about having our first, I was working all the time. My schedule was such that it just didn't allow for a baby. I started to think about this before and started to adjust my schedule where I would take on less clients and I spaced things out a little bit more as I could. Now, my schedule books out for months in advance, so I was not able to make the change right away. But because I started to think about this a few months before we started trying, by the time I was pregnant, I was already in the process of transitioning to my new schedule. I understand that not all jobs would allow for remote work, and it may not be possible to just cut down your days, but perhaps there's other smaller things that you can do, like maybe paring down your social calendar or requesting a few more breaks at work so you can get to the gym or have a proper lunch. All of these will be very, very helpful. Another thing that I found to really ring true in my life was timing of everything. You know the phrase, You plan and plan, but then God or universe laughs at you. It's something that I can really see when looking in hindsight about my pregnancies. I know that we all want things when we want them, but is it possible that sometimes things work out for the better, even if it doesn't seem like that in the moment? I found that when I look at some of the struggles or things that I would consider more negative in my life, looking back, I can always find the reason after the fact and the silver lining of how it actually worked out for the better. This actually happened with all of my pregnancies. I was telling you earlier that I had Jake when I was 37, 
but I was actually pregnant three years prior to that when my husband, Sky, and I first talked about starting a family, and I was 33 at the time. And funny enough, back then I had this belief that I had to be pregnant before 35, so not to have that dreaded AMA on my chart that I talked about earlier. We saw the heartbeat at six weeks at the time and all was going great. However, when I went back at eight weeks, the heartbeat was gone. I know this is quite common and it happens to so many people, but no matter how common, it is of course still devastating. The thing is that in addition to the sadness and the feelings of what I did wrong, which of course was nothing at all, I also had this feeling of, oh, well, now we have to wait three months to try again, so I guess the baby won't be born in the summer and I really wanted a summer baby. Okay, don't laugh, but it was true. Thankfully, I caught that thought going through my head and as I thought about it back then, I realized, wait a minute, are we really ready for a baby? Or were we trying because I wanted to be before I was 35 and all the other things that societal factors may talk about? Scott and I were married for three years at that point, and we were together for seven before that. So it wasn't like we didn't know each other, but I think we just had more to explore and more to do. And so that miscarriage actually led us to what turned out to be a three and a half year self-development journey both individually and together. And I have to tell you, the things we learned about ourselves, about each other, and the amount that we each grew together as a couple is honestly beyond even what I can explain in words. And I'm just so, so thankful for that experience and how it all worked out. And we didn't have any major issues per se. We were comfortable, but being comfortable could be a slippery slope and it's so much different than actually thriving. I think back to what would have happened if that baby did come, and I honestly don't know. Having a baby, especially your first, comes with a ton of stress and a ton of responsibility, and I'm not sure how we would have handled it, and honestly, how our relationship would have held up back then. But after our three and a half year journey, we did tons of stuff, from compassionate communication work, to workshops on stress and lowering our nervous system, to releasing past traumas, releasing old beliefs, which was so amazing. Scott and I were on a completely different level together. And then I remember it was Thanksgiving weekend, 2015, and Scott said to me, you know, I think I'm ready for a baby. And at that point, I was two, and Jake was conceived that night. Of course, I've been working on my health for many years, so I had my hormones and my thyroid dialed in by then, but I think that the timing of us having gone through what we went through just needed to happen. And yes, I was 37 and not under 35 like I originally planned, but it was all good. And with this pregnancy, I actually had a miscarriage last year before getting pregnant again. This time it was a 12 week, so it was a lot harder. We actually found out through a genetic test that something may have been off and I opted for a CVS, which revealed that instead of the normal 46 chromosomes, the baby actually had 69. Of course, it was devastating, but somehow I just knew there was a baby waiting to come in and it was going to happen. I was 39 at the time and obviously knew that not all of my eggs were good and that this egg just happened to have double chromosomes. But it wasn't until I got pregnant again a year later with this pregnancy that I saw some of the reasons behind that. And one of them was actually this podcast. I had thought about starting a podcast for a while and it was one of those things that I said I would do one day. 
I was also invited to host the Hashimoto Summit, which I declined originally because I was pregnant and it would have been too much to do with a baby on the way. After that miscarriage, I knew this was something I was very passionate about and decided to host the Hashimoto Summit and to start this podcast at the same time, things that definitely would not have happened if I would have had a newborn. In that time, I also expanded my practice and went virtual and have been able to connect with so many people through the show and online. None of that would have happened otherwise, and that is something I am very, very thankful for. And as you may guess, just as soon as all that was set and going, I got pregnant this past November. Funny enough, the exact same weekend as with Jake, just four years later. I'm sharing the story with you so that perhaps hearing this may help you in some way. We want to work on the biochemistry and really look at the first four things that I discussed, but we also want to be mindful about the timing and things that you can do in your life now to make room for the baby. So look at what you may want to do that you haven't yet. Is there anything you need to work on, both personally or professionally? Anything you may need to work on in your relationship? Anything that may not be working in your life? The more you balance things, and I mean not just biochemically, but also emotionally and energetically, the more balanced your body will be as a whole, and that is key to fertility. I hope this resonated with you. And if you know someone that's struggling with fertility and can use this information, please share this episode with them. And be sure you subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode because the next topic or mystery I discuss could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. When it comes to your health issues, please don't give up. The answers really are out there. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week on Health Mysteries Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.